Welcome to another episode of Studio B. My name is Sarah Scott, your host as always. We are talking about studio time today on this episode. So we have audio engineer and producer Josh Gwillem hanging out with us. And if you've seen this on social media, you've probably seen that. It's called Studio Love. And you're like, what? <laughs> I like to name my episodes based on songs or on TV episodes that I feel suit the episode I'm talking about. It gives a bit of a punch too, right? Right. <laughs> so Josh Gwillem, his bio on his Facebook page and his website is very well done and it describes him really well, but it doesn't do him justice. I've known Josh only for maybe a year and a half or so. He has this astounding passion for engineering and producing music and you're going to hear it all the way through this interview and it's really beautiful and Josh began his career as a producer and engineer in 2001 and he's held his place behind the glass for many years working with a wide array of artists in like every genre under the sun it's resulted in platinum records and Juno awards for the artists he's worked with he's been recognized by really big names himself so it was such an honor to have him in studio for Studio B and he has worked as a respected freelance producer in various studios across Canada and the US but he now has made home at OCL Studios in Chestermere one of the most beautiful studios I've ever been in. And that's actually where I met him was OCL Studios. And the name Studio B actually came from Josh too. So originally, I did want to do this podcast at OCL Studios. But you know, I don't have the funds for that. And I have all the resources at my job. So <laughs> yeah, but he said, if you wanted to do it at OCL, you would be in Studio B. And that name just really stuck. I'm like, I like that Studio B. B ended up standing for a lot of things, business, being your best, always bettering yourself, all that kind of stuff. So thanks, Josh, for helping me out with the name of this podcast. But he's a really cool guy. I'm really happy I'm able to call him a friend and also an inspiration. I mean, I'm listening throughout this interview for editing purposes. And wow, you feel the love that he has for his job and the raw passion he has for engineering and producing music and working with his artists and really treating them like family and like they mean everything to him. And you're going to hear all of it in this interview. And in this episode, we are talking about how you are going to make the most out of your studio time. You're going to use it effectively, efficiently, and professionally. And we're also sharing some of Josh's favorite moments in the studio as well. So this is Studio B, Episode 7, Studio Love, with our guest, audio engineer and producer, Josh Gwillem. Uh, so we're going to get you to tell us about yourself. Well, myself, I'm Josh Gwillem. I moved to Calgary about 22 years ago from Regina. I was started out playing in like little punk bands in Regina. Always been geared towards the recording studio, but always found it a little bit daunting. I moved to Calgary and worked some really, really shitty jobs and always kind of had in the back of my head, like it would be cool to get into recording music, but I, I just, again, it always felt a little daunting. And then uh, my band at the time, First In Last Out, we recorded over at Sunday Sound with young Dave Alcock. And he kind of, for a weird way, and I don't even know if he knew he was doing this, but he stopped me like kind of near the end. He's like, you have an ear for this, man. Like it's, 
you understand it really well. And that was about all he said, but it was enough that it kind of jump-started me to go like, well, maybe I'll pursue it. And uh, ended up through a friend of a friend meeting another gentleman in town, and he kind of took me under his wing. And kind of the classic story of you can clean the washrooms, make coffee, and, and watch what I do if you stay out of the way type of thing. And that kind of went on for about a year where I'd work nine to five for no money and then work a shitty job painting uh, office board tables at night from 7 p.m. till 3 in the morning. But, you know, at the time it was like I would want to do nothing else. So that kind of got my start in it. And then after that, it was it was a, a question of like what I wanted to do as far as recording goes. For the gentleman that kind of took me under his wing, he was doing a lot of post-production, which was like movie for pictures or recording radio commercials to doing Foley work, which was like replacing sounds within motion pictures, and which was really fun, and I was very good at it, but I, I really didn't have that yearning for it by any means. It was I was super into punk rock. I was super into going out and seeing bands. I was super into just watching people explore new sounds in their music, being good or bad or dangerous or blasé, whatever it was. It was, I really wanted to explore that further. Within playing music, I, this was about 2003, uh, within music, I would go to the regular music stores, and at that time, Dave Temple just started MCC Studios. He knew I was getting into it, and he's like, hey, I hear you're actually really good at this. He was like, listen, come work at the store, like work as, you know, an employee. He's like, I know you're not into sales, but come check it out anyway. And then on your off time, you can work in the studio. He was like the first one to believe in me and just give me a job and was actually pushed me to just be full into it. Him and I would just actually spend nights together and just like create stuff. Like we'd get guitar tones and like push each other to be better. And so this was brand new in the st his studio. I was brand new into kind of recording music. Through that, we did a lot of projects like Rock for the Cause with CJ92 at the time, where we recorded a lot of rock bands within town. And this was actually like before MCC was even like in the country music scene. Now they're kind of known for doing a lot of country music, but we didn't even do a lick of it. It was mostly rock and roll. And then through that, Dave hired Rick Mazzoni. The three of us kind of geared up and like said, okay, what's, what's the goals for the next years? And a lot of it was like, okay, let's find within every genre of music that we know we can do at this studio. Let's find some top acts and really work towards getting them great. So within the country music scene, we're like really charged. Rick really believed in George Canyon. And this was before George Canyon was George Canyon. It was Freddie. He really wanted to record him. And then also a mutual friend was starting a band called The Roadhammers. They needed a space to do vocals and record part of their documentary. This was kind of the making of The Roadhammers when it was just like an idea project. That kind of jump-started us, and that's within, like, that year, that's what made me go from, like, and one other project. There was a, for me, they said, choose a rock band that you want to record. So there's this band in, in Regina called Ghost of Modern Man. So the studio gave me a reduced 50% rate, and then I paid for the rest, and then we booked a month in the studio and just made this fucking amazing rock album. So if you go onto iTunes, 
search that fucking record because to this day, it still sounds timeless. Ghost of Modern Man, City of No Light. So between those three records, that's kind of what jump-started everything for me. The Ghost of Modern Man ended up signing to Warner Brothers, and this is all pre, like, the fallout of the music industry, whatever you want to call it, via Small Man Records in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And then George Cannon ended up going to that, I think it's called Nashville Star, and doing quite well. He ended up getting second, and we completed a record for him. When I wasn't busy, I was ringing through MasterCard invoices for his CD. So people were, like, asking for his CD, so they went to this website. It was through MCC Studios, and we were, like, just credit card machine entering everybody's credit card. Like, we probably went through... 5,000 CDs like that. We'd take turns. Like I would enter in credit card numbers and it was like $25 at a time and just fucking going through like 5,000 CDs of this stupid thing. So he ended up doing really great and then my name was attached to that. The Roadhammers ended up doing really great. My name was attached to that. It just kind of snowballed from there where it was like now MCC Studios was like, we got to make this thing happen and like let's like really streamline it and make the best country music possible but like it'll be our sound and we'll really do it and like factory it and make it awesome which i loved the idea i thought it was an amazing idea it's an idea that really works it's an idea that will make money and make a great product but what i didn't like was it wasn't me by any means no because you were more into like the punk rock kind of stuff you weren't super well yeah it was like not and it wasn't even like a question of country or genre, or punk rock, or or singer-songwriter, or hip-hop, or classical. My whole thing was, it's got to push boundaries. You have to push it. Like, to just put, like, some cookie-cutter bullshit on everything you do is not art. Like, it's the furthest thing from it. And so, for every artist that wants to come in and work on a project, you're not going to get a fucking anywhere if you do that shit. If you're looking at something that was recorded two years ago and you want to, like, just make a version of that, well, you're already, like, four years too late and you're just doing something somebody else did. If I want to listen to that, I listen to that, not your piece of crap that you are just cookie-cuttering, you know? Well, you can hear it. Like, you can hear the radio versions that you're like, oh, this sounds like every other song on the radio. It's going to be a fast burner is what we call it, and mm. then we're going to get rid of it. The Get Up, for example, I think is one of the songs that everyone thought was going to go places. We haven't played it in, yeah. like, three weeks. It was just done. And it And it happens so many times where it's like, for me, it was like, Okay, I need to go the furthest way possible. And at that time, I met David Keene over at Artie's studio, and he's out in Bear's Paw, and it's like an art museum in there. Like, it's outrageous. It was the exact left side that I needed at that time. It's weird, because every step I take within this industry is amazing in its own right. From, you know, the person that inspired me just to take this on, to the person that pushed me and, like, and let me just work for nothing but get my chops to Dave Temple like being like, I'll fucking hire you and you can work on your craft. And then David Keene over at Oddities really inspired me like to to no end was like teaching me more about sonics and really like listening to music and how things should interact with each other, how music was done from the very early stages of wax cylinder recorders until now and why the instruments that were used shape 
the tonality of those records throughout the decades and how the rooms have shaped the tonality of those records and how it shapes our, our listening aspects. So I, I worked with him for a few years. And then it, it sparked me to want to create something further was to understand how I really wanted to understand how uh, musicians worked in different environments. I started a mobile recording company where I bought an old CBC mobile semi-truck that had a recording studio on the back of it and would just find the most unique environments to put musicians in, to put bands in, and to put artists in, whether it be like an old church or an abandoned building, a warehouse, to shipping containers, to people's houses, to the truck itself, to live music venues, to all that, and just how that's going to shape, one, shape their creativity, and also how it's going to inspire me to feed off that energy on how they were in that particular space. So I did that for a few years. And then then, then there was just doing that day in, day out is fucking exhausting. Like, Looking back, I should have done that, maybe owned that, but only did that a few times in the summer. So how did that work? Like you had this CBC van and you just took it out anywhere these bands wanted to go mm-hmm. or you chose where they wanted to go? I choose where they wanted to go. Where's and the like, craziest place you took them? We did a cowpuncher record in Calgary within Inglewood and there's this abandoned warehouse, mostly abandoned. There wasn't power, so we ran the generator off my truck. That powered all the band as well. The only thing not abandoned was there is like a weird car club that used the warehouse and they had like 10 Ford Fiestas. And this weird thing about these old Ford Fiestas, like you could drop a very large engine in this very small car. So it was like a weird thing. So there's all these Fiestas that people were like racing, but they were fixing them there. And it was just bizarre. But yeah, that one, it was so like, it was a machine shop. So by the end of the recording, like we all had like this crazy bronchial infection. Like we were just like super sick after that. Was it cold out? No, it was nice, but it was just like, it was this iron shop. So like there was just this weird like dust everywhere. Like everything, it just, it was so fucking gross. That was probably the, I don't know if it's the weirdest, but it was, it was weird. Other places like Freemasons. So I recorded at a couple like Freemasons halls. They have good acoustics and they're great people. You know, like as long as you're male. I don't know. Like, it's as long as you're like straight white male, a, a fair, a, you know, you need to know the handshake to get in it. But like, that's about. Do you know the handshake? Know the handshake. Holy cow! Can you show me it? Mm-mm. Damn it! Not allowed. Fine. I guess I'm not a straight white male. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, so that that kind of led me to. I was pretty burnt out with it. It was this day on day out, like get start the truck, warm it up, load the truck. Because I wouldn't keep, like, microphones and stuff in there. So you're always, like, loading gear in. Which is good because, you know, how many people have gotten their stuff stolen out of their vehicles recently? Yeah, you, it's insane. You get broken into. And it's, like, it's an intimidating truck. But still, things yeah. happen. Load in. Load out. Load the microphones. Load the mic stands. Load the headphone stations. Like, it's just a lot of grind. In and out. In and out. In and out. All day. I got pretty tired. And then it was right around the time where... OCL Studios was just kind of changing gears. They're changing their live, or sorry, their Studio A from a digital board into this 48-channel Neve console. And if anybody knows about recording console, Neve is one of the, it's the type of console you want to record on. And for an engineer, there's like, there's about five consoles in the world world that I really like recording on, and that's one of them. 
Dan over at OCL Studios ended up getting one of those. So it definitely piqued my interest. So I just went and paid him a visit and he showed me around and we got along really well. And there's a project I needed to do. So I ended up doing a bit of a project and then he asked me to help him out with the project that he was working on. You know, I found a role within that team that was growing at the time as it was kind of brand new. You know, Spencer was just kind of starting there. I was starting there and Brennan Kennedy was starting there. So we all kind of like started and, and Megan herself as well. We all kind of started around the same time and built kind of a family within that. And then so that was like five years ago. With Dan, another person that was just like, he basically told me, like, you just do what you do and be really great at it. That's it. I'll take care of the rest, but just be really fucking good and make sure they come back. Yeah, it's it definitely a place I could just keep working on my craft. And it, it's also a place where, like, I didn't have to pay when gear breaks. Didn't really have to worry about keeping the lights on. So th that's been the last five years of various projects in every form in every genre, whether it be country, rap, rock, every version of rock you can think of, every version of country you could think of, and a little bit of classical to singer-songwriters everywhere in between. So that's that brought me to here, mm -hmm. if that didn't bore the fuck out of you. No, that was quite in-depth. I just got to say, holy crap, you have a lot of notes. Yeah. <laughs> or you just came up with that all on the spot. Either way, totally impressive. On the spot. Impressive. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Studio B this week. My name is Sarah Scott, your host, here to talk about a really cool group run out of Calgary. They support both new and established writers right here in Alberta. You've heard Char talk about them quite a few times. They are Canada's largest independent songwriters group. They've been going strong for 16 years, which is super awesome. You probably know who I'm talking about. The Calgary Songsmiths. These guys are awesome. I've had the opportunity to go to two of their sessions, one on a regular Tuesday night, and then one was a summer school session with the Northern Pikes. And both times I was so inspired as not just a writer, but also as an industry professional. And I was so happy with what they are and have been doing for new and established writers, singers, songwriters, and emerging independent artists. They have workshops, resources, mentoring opportunities to perform, and educational sessions on different aspects of the songwriting business. There are no membership fees, and the sessions are open to all ages. They gather every third Tuesday of the month. You can find out more details on their Facebook page under Calgary Songsmiths on Instagram or on Twitter. And make sure you keep checking back for updates on sessions and events on their Facebook or Instagram pages as well. The Calgary Songsmiths, keep doing what you're doing. I absolutely love it and I'm happy to get the word out for you. Tell us about your work day. Like what does your normal work day look like? What does your normal work week look like? Tell us all about that okay so being an engineer you're always a freelance engineer you're always it's never the same way twice even though like you can be in the same room doing the same thing people are different a normal day is me totally normal day is me either getting up early i get up generally around 6 30 i just feed myself if I, i'm a part-time father so it's 50 50 if my daughter's staying with me i get her ready we eat together get her to school at eight. And then from about eight to nine, I 
I do just kind of work mode where I return text messages, return emails, send emails, look for work, see who's kind of doing what, seeing what artists or bands I'd be excited with working with and just kind of reach out and keep those connections going. Then I'll drive into OCL for about till 9.30. I try to get there about half hour early and just kind of decompress. Sessions generally start at 10. I try to do like a 10 till 6 session where I just put 100% energy into whatever I do for eight hours and don't really take breaks, just like full on work. So whether it's an artist I'm working with or a band I'm working with or a put together band I'm working with, they'll start showing up between anywhere from 9.30 till 10. Then we just kind of go over what we're doing. We'll set up the day-to-day stuff, whether it's changing out microphones or setting up whatever we are recording, we'll be setting up and then try to get rolling as soon as everybody arrives. I generally don't like to set up when people are there just because I hate wasting people's time. I love when people show up and I'm like, okay, we'll change a couple little things maybe just to what their energy is kind of providing at that time. Or if I hear a particular instrument, I know I have to kind of change a microphone. And then it's just like full on, just 100% all about the artist for that time. We talk back and forth, record, record, talk, and just kind of go through the day-to-day, the daily thing for that time, whatever it is, if it's recording or editing or mixing. And we kind of just go through the list of things that need to be done for that day and just kind of push on. And that can be a whole week. And that week can look like, you know, it could be a seven-day week of just recording the same person, or it could be like a seven-day week of recording various artists, or it could be just a two-day week. And then the rest of the time could be me more or less finding work, you know, looking for more work. And every engineer producer will say this, no matter how fucking big you are, the shit doesn't always come to you. It's a lot of networking. It's a lot of like even just letting know people you want to work with them. Because a lot of artists might think like, oh, I'd really like to work with so-and-so but they won't say it's this weird dance it's almost like dating in a in a sense like sometimes you got to be so bold to be like i really want to work with you and just letting people know that it it is possible to to do things like it's not this grand thing that you know like you have to be selected to record at a studio like it's like you can work with people's budgets too yeah exactly like it's basically like understanding their budget understanding their intent and then working within that and just making sure it all is balanced sounds busy because i mean like i've spoken to you and you've worked longer than eight hour days before oh yeah yeah definitely have put in some long hours into that which project probably took you the longest to do okay so this is the weirdest thing with me is that i have I have very little memory of the projects I do because I'm always looking at the project I'm on. And I've said this for for many years is that never look back at your work or your accolades. Always look at the present and make the best thing possible at that present time. So within every stitch that you do within that recording, it's got to be the best. Whether you're working on your craft, work on it to be better. Or if you feel like you're doing very well at your craft, work on it to be the best. If I was to say which one's taking me the longest, I'd be like the one I'm working on right now because it's not done. But I can't remember in particular, but I, I know there is one I worked on for three years. Holy cow. And it wasn't like full on. It was somebody that had a lot to say and we wanted to make sure it was voiced properly. It's not like we went forever making the project every single day, but the project, she had a lot to say 
And I wanted to make sure it was voiced properly. And she lost a lot of people in her life, and I wanted to make sure it was taken with extreme care. We ended up, there would be times where it just wasn't right time to record. There was times where we just literally needed to talk for a few hours, and that's it. And then so we'd meet for coffee and just talk, talk. But it was all for getting a great product at the end of it. And so it took a while, but it was awesome when it was done. Yeah, th- I think that was the longest as far as like when I had to look back at edits. It was like, holy shit, this, we've been on this for three years. But then there's artists that I've worked with for, I was talking to one gentleman. I was like, we've been working together for 15 years now. He was putting together like a best of catalog. So we had to like dig out all these things that we recorded like 15 years ago. There's stuff like that where it's like you don't really realize how long you've been in it until you have to kind of dig through it. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. That seems like a long time. But if a good product came out of it, it's totally worth it for sure. Yeah. So you talked about your day to day work life and what it looks like in your work week and all that kind of stuff. And this question wasn't here for you. But yep. what is your process when you are putting together an album like how do you like to do it what's the josh way of yeah. engineering something it's only super tricky because and i'm gonna put this on another question they asked me was kind of establishing the roles and i asked what's my typical or what's kind of how how i like to engineer something so within that role if i'm engineer and there is a producer I'm basically, I'm looking at the producer. I'll talk to the producer and I'll I'll ask them, what's the vibe of this record? What are you achieving? What are you going for? And then we'll talk back and forth about sounds and sonics. And they might give me some examples of records. And then I'll give them some ideas of drum sounds that we could get or like ways we could set them up. And they'll maybe in turn tell tell me how they want things set up and how they want to run the session. Always within a producer, if I'm playing the engineer role, I look at the producer as kind of head chef. I'm there to suit their needs and how they like to work. And I'll never try to like push my opinion, but I always want to make sure that their ideas are being put forward in the strongest way. So if they say, I really like these drums, I'll be like, okay, I know I've gotten this sound from doing this and this and this. You want to try that? And they'll be like, yeah. Or no, I actually want to do this and this. Okay, great. Let's go for it. So it's always working hand in hand with a producer, but never stepping out of that role of just being the person that they trust the most to get them the sounds that they want. And also being kind of like a ninja in the way of staying out of the way because at the end of the day the producer is the one working with that artist there's a lot of trust that i don't know how long they've built that trust but they are working very close with each other to to make sure the common goal is of that record is being made Mm -hmm. so they don't need any really outside opinions unless it's asked if somebody's josh what's your opinion i'll give my opinion but if it's like you know, a lot of time, as long as the producer's happy, as long as the artist's happy, I'm happy. That's the way I, I do if I'm the engineer. So we are going to go back to the roles in the studio because you talked a bit about your role as the engineer, a bit yep. about the producer and all that kind of stuff. But let's get more into specifics with that, sure. like the role specifically, kind of maybe like the Webster's Dictionary kind of definitions, yeah. Yeah. you know, just so people know what they are and what people should expect when they walk into a studio and who they should be talking to for what and for certain things. Okay. In like a traditional recording studio Generally, there's an engineer 
and a studio manager. Always contact the studio manager for booking studio time. Never contact the engineer because they're so fucking flighty. And I know this from my experience is that I'll get a text being like somebody will, you know, we'll bounce back and forth about dates and, and like, when are you available? When is this? But always contact the manager, whoever it is. They are the ones running the ship. Contact them. They book it and it's solid. If phoning an engineer for it, the engineer might not know that the manager has like three other potentials that are going into this date and at any given time they could lock those in. So in a traditional recording studio, it's usually manager, engineers, assistant engineers. Producers generally don't work with in a studio, but there is like this new way of like a lot of times now engineers are also producers. Like myself, for instance, because I'm an engineer over at OCL Studios, but I also produce a ton or I'm kind of like dubbed, you know, like the non-producer producer. A band will come in and they just they don't really know exactly what to do. So they ask a lot of guidance questions. Usually I won't try to put my stamp on it too heavily, but I'll look just basically take a snapshot of their band the best way possible. A manager books the studios, makes sure that there's an engineer there for the artist at any given time. They'll go as far as booking any other musicians or flights or accommodations. They'll help out with that sort of thing or catering anything that could be done within the studio. Manager generally helps with that. The recording engineer is is the one that is there to facilitate the artist in the way of like making sure everything works, setting up the microphones, understanding what should go where, how people should be set up. And then, you know, working kind of hand in hand with the artist or with the artist and producer, if that is kind of the role. And also just managing the managing the session and managing the files within the session. So making sure that things are backed up or making sure that everything's safe or you're recording properly. And then a producer, it's again, it could be engineer producer, could be manager engineer producer. Like it's in this day and age, like you kind of have to wear like every hat talking more in the traditional style and what works truly the best is when you have a great team you're going to get the best product so a producer will be the one that's working directly with an artist or band that's going to listen through the songs make arrangement tweaks within the songs as far as like maybe lyrical tweaks or just facilitating the place where a band should record, when they should record, and making sure they stay within budget and timeline, making sure that they're working with the right engineers in the right studios, then working with the artist to get the best product possible. So a producer will be the, the one that the band is trusting in to I've done some projects where near the end of the project, some of the musicians in the band don't even know where to go to eat anymore because they're so looking to me to make every decision. There's one band, and for instance, we did a partial recording in Vancouver, and then we went to Austin to finish the record. And by the end of it, the singer is just like, I'm at home, and I don't even know what I want to eat. You got to help me out. You know, it's just those silly things. But a producer will kind of make sure everybody's taken care of. Also, the other one would be assistant engineers is just assisting the producer and assisting the engineer, but kind of staying out of the way and making sure like if a cable needs to be run or a mic need to be changed or things like that or coffee needs to be made. It's kind of like it's a stepping stone to becoming an engineer or a producer. That's about it right up until I don't know if I'm going too far, but 
to mixing and then mastering. So within it, you can have recording engineers that just record music all day and they work with getting great sounds. And then you can have a separate person that just mixes, that just locks away in, in their room and just like focuses on mixing all the stuff you recorded and then highly edited and making sure that it's so polished and so awesome and so punchy and so rad that it sounds just like everything else you'd want. And then from that mix engineer, after you approve those mixes, it goes to a mastering engineer. And the mastering engineer will take all those songs that the mix engineer did, whether it be, say, 12 songs, and then make sure that that album is balanced throughout and it sounds super equal throughout it. Because as you send mixes in, one might be slightly dull, one might be slightly too bright, one might be a little like louder than the next, but they kind of balance out all the fidelity throughout those tracks and make sure it sounds like a cohesive record. So when you listen to it, you're not, man, that takes me out all of a sudden. And there's bad mastering, and I've heard bad mastering, where halfway through a record, all of a sudden you're like, this doesn't even sound like it's on the same planet. Uh, a great mastering engineer will definitely guide that process to make sure it's sonically equal throughout the whole record. And then be ready for any format. Be ready for CD, MP3, vinyl, to tape. Because there's different EQ curves to, to everything that you will go towards. iTunes ask for a certain thing. And vinyl, you have to shape the EQ curve for the record slightly different. And tape as well. Like, just some people are still doing tapes. And I feel like they're coming back. Tapes are coming back. Yeah, it's like a slow burn. Yeah. But, but for different. radio, is it <clears throat> a different thing too? Yeah, radio is also different. It's, you know, with radio, they limit so heavily. Yes. Like, there's yeah. a heavy limiter. If your low end on your track is super heavy, if that gets limited, that stuff's getting brought up like a mother. So then your whole album can just, or your whole song on a radio could just sound like this muffled piece of garbage. Well, we get sent these MP3s that I am talking are so loud mm -hmm. and we have to constantly turn them down before we put them into our system. And we're like, yeah. why do they keep sending us these songs that are blowing our speakers? Yeah. And then they just sound, none of them have sounded really distorted. Yeah. I've gotten one that was just like, ooh, this is pushing it. Then we turned it down. It was fine. But is that why they send them to us so loud? There's this whole thing called the loudness wars. And I just, I wish it would be fucking over. But everybody has a stereo with a volume knob. So if you want things louder, just fucking turn it off. Want to hear the funniest phone call we ever got? Yeah. So we got this phone call from this lady saying, um, can you turn up your radio because I can't hear it? She called us at 1130 on the morning on our sister station, AM 1140, asking, can you turn up your radio? I can't hear it. And I'm like, do you have a knob on your stereo or player or whatever? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, that's how you turn it up. We can't we do much about it. it. And yeah. she's like, oh, one sec. And she turns it up, and we're like, "The genius, oh, Jesus." Yeah. Anyways, sorry, and that, that was that's kind of thing. the same thing. It, it was just like you know, the loudness wars are like. I feel it's coming to an end because people are kind of understanding dynamics. But there's this period in like the early 2000s where everybody wanted the loudest record. The thing about loud is that if your whole record is hit so hard loud, there is no definition of loud. It's just all like it's all, that's all you're getting. You're getting everything all at once. But if there's no quiet moments, and this is dynamics, if there's no quiet moments, the loud moments are never loud. So the loudest records in the world, all it is is noise, essentially. If you want loud, you need peaks and valleys. To have something that sounds really great on the radio, 
there needs to be a slight bit of dynamics. It can't be so dynamic that you don't hear things. You know, you don't hear those subtleties, but you do need a little bit of peaks and valleys. So never over limit your things. Yeah, we're going to talk about that for sure and about like demo love and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. All that. But we're going to move on here to some basic terms musicians should know before walking into a studio. I know it seems like a very basic thing to talk about, but I feel like maybe they should know so they're a little bit more prepared. You know, things like mixing, mastering, monitoring, monitors, you know, like those kinds of things. Like, once again, kind of just like the dictionary definitions or your favorite definitions of them. Just so musicians are like, oh, hey, yeah, I want to do this. And they actually know what they're talking about. Uh, (laughs) Or are there any specific terms they should know? We can narrow it down a bit. I'll give you kind of like, I'll just rattle off a bunch of things. It's tracking or recording. It's just the actual recording is, is just exactly what it is. It's just capturing. So you're capturing sound. Mixing, it's taking all the sounds that you have recorded and making them, kind of mixing them together. And it could be leveling out all the individual tracks or, or all the individual sounds that you have recorded. So it could be a drum kit that you have 12 mics on it. So you're balancing those 12 mics to make a great sound, a great sounding drum kit to a bass and making sure the bass is sounding great with the drums. And then you're adding in guitars. And so mixing will be the balancing act of all those individual instruments to make it sound like a great cohesive song. Overdubbing, that's another one that we use a lot. Well, actually, let me go into bed tracks. Bed tracks is establishing the foundation of the song. So if the foundation of the song is drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, the band is in there and you record those things. So the beds would be drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, like in its rawest basic form. And that might be exactly what somebody plays live is that. But then overdubs is after those bed tracks are done, that's the foundation. Overdubs would be kind of these like candy moments where the keyboardist might be like, you know, in the chorus, it could lift a bit more if we put this organ patch on. Or the guitarist will add maybe a secondary guitar or layer a few guitars to make different parts punch or sound more aggressive or lift. And the singer, after they might want to overdub background vocals or double their lead vocals to make it sound thicker and and stuff like that. So I guess... All that, and then mixing. Mixing already went over, so mm-hmm. we, if you wanted to, you could snap that over to here or whatever. Mastering, I kind of went over as well. Mm-hmm. Comping and editing. Comping, it's taking... A lot of engineers will take multiple takes of a lot of things. So you might do... The biggest one is noted lead vocals. Some singers will record 100 passes of their song. And then comping would be taking those 100 passes and looking for the best of the best within those takes. It could be right down to the, and I've seen this happen, right down to the best S, right down to the best breath before the vocal. There's even bands that will overdub the breath before the vocal. They'll comp together the best performance, but there might be these weird breaths before that just sound like, you know, like there's slobber in their voice or something. (laughs) So they want this really like beautiful like breath before the vocal just to make them sound extra sexy. Well, you know, you hear some of those rock bands now they have the actual like cough before they sing now into the yeah, right? song. And I'm like, yeah. who started that? I think Jet started that actually. They're yeah. Like the first one to do that. And it was such oh, a it's thing. Such a thing. It I'm still like, is a fucking thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Nickelback made the breath thing 
famous. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I mean, like, th- their productions are like. <laughs> you don't want to hear. Flawless. <laughs> well, yeah. It's always like, you want to hear this really sexy breath before, for uh, whatever fucking lyric they have. They're talented, but not no. my thing. Editing is a good one because now within, within digital recording, you can kind of make anything work. So anything can be fixed. That doesn't mean you should, but anything can be fixed. But editing is really amazing when you have a great performance, but somebody just had a bad note or had a bad... And so you can, like, just fix it. You can change it. Or if there is a great vocal performance, but the singer might have just been a bit too in it and went sharp a couple times. So it's super easy just to tune those moments. And most engineers and producers will say this, is, like, I'll take a great performance and tune it rather than a blasé performance that isn't perfectly in tune. If it's super passionate and super amazing but a little pitchy, just fix it a little. Autotune or Melodyne, they're both great tools, and I use them both. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't use them all the time, and, like, I personally like pitchy vocals. I just think it's awesome. I don't like out-of-tune singers, mm-hmm. but I like when people will bend a little bit or when there's passion in it. If you go slightly sharp, it's because you're going for it so much. Or if, like, the end of the note goes slightly sharp. If the whole thing is flat and boring, then, of course, it's going to be, like, gotta fix it like or sing it again Mm -hmm. you know or just do better yeah to fix a couple notes i'm not against it and like i love when things sound natural but if they're over edited and to me it's just it's not my style of recording i know people are do it and they're really good at it and they should get all that work but it's not my thing but that's not to say i don't edit because i do and i edit kind of heavily sometimes like because I put a lot of intent into my work. This acoustic guitar track might be cut off and it sounds so unnatural, but to me, I just, I feel it sounds cooler. You know, or like drums that come in out of nowhere that don't make sense, but as soon as you hear it within the track, it kind of makes sense, but they'd sound unnatural. I love doing stuff like that. As long as there's a strong intent with whatever you're editing, I think that's just want to pop in and say hello and thank you for listening. And we really appreciate it. And I hope you are enjoying the program. Let's get back to it. So we're going to move on to how an artist should prepare themselves for a studio session. Like we're going to talk about them walking into the studio. What should they be prepared for? What should they have prepared? What should they bring with them? How should they approach the studio process or the process of recording? We'll start off with those things first and then we'll move on to the other three points underneath. So... Before you go into the studio, know what you want out of that studio. I always say, like, don't just book time and show up. Is understanding the what your goal is at that that time. Whether it's I want to record a record, establishing with who you're working with what the goal is. And if the goal is that you want this thing to leap you to here, to this next step, or is it making an album for your parents, like a parent's Christmas present? Both are fine. But understanding that goal and and reaching that goal is key. And knowing where you're at and where you want to go. So it's definitely the, the first thing is making that heard. What is the intent of, or what is the goal of this? Being clear about that Uh, a big one is just knowing where they're at where they want to go i kind of lightly touched on it setting out their intent of the recording and the intent of or the final goal two is just kind of don't just call us any studio and book time 
talk to them, meet with them, know the body of work that they do and they have done, and go as far as just booking a five-minute meeting with either the studio manager or one of the engineers, and just making sure that you actually vibe with that person. And within that, they could kind of show you some work that they've done that might be close to what you're working towards. And then you can also establish some goals and just figure out exactly what you want to do with that. I mean, it could be just somebody wants to come in and just record some acoustic and vocals and just have something that they can kind of show people. Or it might be a somebody that needs to do a single and wants to throw all their cash into, you know, making sure what I record is going to be the best possible thing out there within what I'm working with. I always say just meet with a few studios and just like, and ask around. And no matter where you live, the music community is pretty small. So you talk to a few musicians and you start asking about people. People generally talk and people will give strong opinions both ways. They'll give their strong opinion of like, do not go there. Or like, they're awesome. So you ask a few people and word gets around really quick. So And that's every town. You go to Nashville and people will be like, don't work with that person. That person's trouble. Or that person's amazing. They're going to take care of you. Or That's kind of like for anything, too. Anything. Yeah. Anything. It, like, I mean, the right gym to go to, personal trainers to the right accountant. Or, like, it's why we have Yelp. Can't hurt just to even look at those. Do recording studios actually have Yelp pages, though? I think so. I, I mean, well, everybody <laughs> has, like, a Google page page yeah or like their facebook reviews now like now people yeah. can review stuff on facebook and i feel yeah. like that's where i get a lot of my reviews from or facebook yeah but that's neither here or there that's just like to i mean sure it does right it person. does at least will give you a little bit of like insight unbiased from somebody that might have had a really bad experience or a good experience but it's also their responsibility to bring in a good experience too like if they're coming in with a negative attitude or not knowing what they want to do or mm -hmm. you know they didn't expect it to go a certain way so they kind of had a little shit fit about it that's also them too yeah you know yeah so it's also the artist's responsibility to kind of yeah be prepared essentially yeah. but yeah so how should they approach the studio process like what should they expect as soon as they walk in like you kind of mentioned how your day is and how you yeah. do things but when they first walk in what are you gonna do always before i never really work with somebody without meeting them we'll always meet and then establish these goals and to see where they want to take their project, whether their project is, let's just say, for instance, they want to record an EP and they want a band behind it. It's a singer-songwriter. They want it to sound like there's a full band behind them. I'll meet with them and we just establish sort of how far they want to go, how deep they want to go. Like, Do they just want to hear their songs as they are right now? with a band behind them or do they want to make sure these songs can be the best they are and we shape them out and shake out all the bad lyrics and like crappy arrangements and like rearrange and, and find the best way possible and then essentially like produce that ep so it can kind of shift in in different ways kind of after the the meetings and once we figure out that if there is a band that's that's kind of hired to them, an artist will kind of look to me about kind of selecting the proper players for it. Sometimes an artist will have a band that they play a lot with. And if that's the case, if they are an individual artist, if that's the case, I'm going to go see that band. And I'm just going to see like what they love about the band and what can be improved upon. So if, you know, the drummer is really unique, but it helps shape the whole songs, there's no way I can replace that. You know, but I might notice like the bass player's not really adding to anything. It's actually maybe hindering it. So we might meet and just be like, listen, 
I think this person and this person is really great in your band. It could really be a great thing to mix them in with some like pro heavyweights. Or we could just say, like, I feel I'll get a better and quicker performances if we hire out. Sometimes when an artist will bring in their band, if they don't have a lot of studio experience, it can actually take way longer and be more costly than just hiring somebody. A lot of times with studio professionals, they'll listen to the artist and they'll listen to me in the way that we want it this way, we want it to sound like this, we want this rhythm, we want you to play like this on these chords. And they'll often nail it within two or three takes. Hmm. Like to be like, that is better than I've ever heard my song. That's a lot of times why we use session musicians, just because I know I can get to the goal quicker. They have a lot of recording studio experience and just know how to play their instrument within the microphones that we use and, and know how to get the right sounds for me and I know how to capture them. So it's very little talk. I don't have to really watch what I say. I can be bold in what I say, be like, that's not good, this is great. Let's do this to make it all great. Sometimes when working with an artist that has their own band, I gotta be very cautious about what I say because they might be intimidated by the fact that they're in the studio and they don't wanna screw up because they wanna be at their best. So if I'm saying, that's really terrible, do better, they might just seize up. Yeah. I so it, it is like a balancing act. Yeah. So what should an artist bring with them to the studio? The willingness to try anything, understanding their songs very well, in a simple form chord chart and duplicates of that, like five duplicates, lyrics printed out, all lyrics printed out. And I'm going to say this fucking 20 times. Because no matter how many times I say it, people get it wrong. All your lyrics, not chorus repeat, all of it. So if your chorus, if there's three choruses and the, the last chorus is doubled, write all those lyrics out. Every single lyric you sing, write it out. No repeat, no writing chorus after the verse. Like, write out the lyrics, every single one of them. Because what I do while I'm recording is I'm making notes throughout this whole lyric sheet of like, that stunk, that stunk. This is great, that was great. And it's hard when it's like not written out. So if they don't, I physically have to take time and write it out. So it's a waste of time on my end. Copy, paste, just copy, paste, print, copy, paste, print. It's easy. So, and then, you know, like bring your instrument. If you're a guitar player, bring your guitar. I mean, you generally might not even use their guitar. Like there might be a better one in the studio or you might not be playing guitar on your record, but it's your home. It's your writing tool. It's how you got there. So it's like, bring that. And just because we might redo a thing or like you might feel comfortable holding your guitar. So just bring it. Another big one is food. And I can't ever stress this enough. As soon as people don't eat, they're idiots. Or they're super angry. Hangry. Yeah, and it's a thing. So, like, bring lots of healthy food. Don't eat like crap in the studio. Be wise about it. Lots of fresh fruit, lots of nuts, lots of fresh vegetables. No heavy things, you know? No, like, like nothing with cream or dairy in it. Because when I used to sing, they said, do not eat dairy, anything fizzy, anything right. alcoholic before well, you sing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, dairy for sure. That just messed me up real bad. Yeah. But yeah, keep heavy things out. Like don't 
order pizza. It's like, it's shit for you and you'll just go to sleep. But if, if you have this steady thing of just like good food throughout the day, like you work very well. Everybody's fed and everybody's like super energized to do stuff. As soon as people get hungry, they don't want to record very well. So however it shapes out, it's making sure there's great food. And I always notice the best producers bring the best food. It's always that way is that the best producers make sure there's food constantly and it's the best. I say keep hydrated too. That's a big one. Oh yeah. I, I'm bad at that, but I'm just, I'm all about coffee. Um, how far advanced they should book a studio session? Generally, I would say anywhere from like a month to two months is a, a good feeling. Like, don't feel like, I want to record my song. Let's do it next week. It's just a shitty idea. Has you that ever happened? Prepared. All the time. Like, huh. yeah. Or like there's sometimes there's artists that I'm working with. Like, I'll have an opening at work and, and just be like, listen, I can get you in now because somebody canceled and I can give you a deal on it. So do you want to do it? And sometimes they will. But yeah, like a month or two is kind of like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'll get them to kind of get their shit together. Gets their shit together. And it's like making sure you can get the right musicians. Like I'm all about like choosing the right people to work with an artist. It's never like, oh, I need a drummer. I need a bass player. I need a guitar player. I need a keyboard player. Yeah. And you're just like, there are different people in every city that are great at different things. Yeah. Weston and I actually talked about that in his podcast, how to choose the right musicians for your project. Mm -hmm. So he gave some pretty good advice on that one. Um, how much does it normally cost for studio time and what should they budget? We do have a financial podcast, but from the actual engineer standpoint, <laughs> how much would you say it normally costs for studio time and what should be budgeted? No, I mean, studio time can be anywhere from 400 a day to 2000 a day it depends where you're working with who you're working with it kind of goes into like where what the final goal is a song that's kind of like finished ready like something that would be heavily on like a a good playlist something that you'd fight for playlist spots can cost anywhere from a thousand dollars to five thousand dollars as just kind of pushing how far you want to go it always depends on what their goal is, what their intent. And that kind of goes back to that original discussion is always meeting with the artists and making sure that the goals are established. Because if somebody comes and is like, I want to record my song, how much is it going to cost? And I'm like, it's going to cost you $5,000. They're like, well, I just, I just want to like go in for a few hours and just record it for my mom because she's passing away. And I just want like, well, fuck, say that first, you know? <laughs> Just be a friend, you know? But, like, yeah, so it's establishing, and I'll never say that yeah, price. No. Like, if they're saying, I really need this, like, this is the only song I'm working with. I'm going all eggs in, in the basket. Just, yeah, it's going to be expensive if that's what expensive is. But if it lands, it could make you a lot of money. Yeah, You know, like, enough. there was one song I did last year. They ended up selling the song to, or they licensed the song to somebody in the States got like 40 grand for it like they were stressing about the budget on the album and they paid the album off with that one <laughs> you know that's crazy that's cool yeah. though yeah studio time depends on the studio depends how busy they are so we're kind of going to move over a couple of questions because you actually told me exactly what their position was we don't sure. need to dive deeper into that but one thing i did like that you mentioned all made in alberta many many months ago as an engineer you actually said these exact words you make the song feel good as an engineer, can you actually elaborate on what you meant by that? Like, you make a song feel good? <laughs> You're like, oh, God. I don't know half the shit that comes out of my mouth sometimes. 
It's funny because it sticks with me, and I'm like, oh, yeah. People will fucking quote me on some shit, and that's just like... Well, this is a good one, at least. Yeah, like, it's the weirdest thing when you can shape anything. It's like, with being an engineer, like, you can take all these sounds and shape it to... You're given a blank canvas, and you can take all these sounds and paint this beautiful picture of it. You can make things sound amazing, and you can create with... In this painting, you can create an emotion when people listen to it and you can capture that emotion but make sure that emotion translates to whoever listens to it. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how I can elaborate on that because it, it's such a weird thing but and it's such a I got into recording basically because it was my way of artistically expressing myself because I could take all these sounds and make sure that the emotion that the artist is trying to convey is actually being told or being conveyed yeah you can you can shape any song to push that emotion through people and if it's a sad song you can push the sonics to make them cry harder you can push the sonics to make them dance harder you can push the sonics to make them scream so loud and it depends what band you're working for like you can record a Slayer record and do it so half-assed that it doesn't push that energy through the speakers. Or you can do it so well that when you're in your car, you get a speeding ticket because you want to drive so fucking fast and you just want to scream. Or you can make a song sound, a sad song sound so much dreamier and so much sadder that you have to pull the car over because you're crying so hard. Or you can have that love song that just oozes of energy that if you are falling in love with somebody you fall in love with them deeper and that's all things that artists can do to the song an engineer can do to the song and a producer can do the song if everybody's in that same path it's gonna ignite it's a team effort totally now the musician is in the studio what should they be prepared to do how long can a musician artist be in the studio for at one time how long should they prepare to be prepared to be in that studio for you said you like to do sessions that are between 10 and six o'clock during the day yeah. but for other studios do they have a set time or do they just kind of go with the flow and they're there for however long they want to get a song out or an album out or whatever yeah it's a lot of a lot of people go with the flow most studios will kind of work with the artists on what their kind of timeline likes to do some people like to do super late sessions start at midnight and then go to like eight in the morning Totally normal. Then there's some people that just feel they're, you know, more creative and can get better stuff done in the, in the mornings. And we'll only book like half days, only book like nine in the morning and want to be done by one. My workflow is I just I found people are the best early. You get the best work. You might not get the vibiest work, mm -hmm. but you get the best like kind of brick and mortar work. And then sometimes vocalists just like they're not they gen well, most singers don't feel it like as soon as they get out of bed. They kind of most performers like to perform when things kind of wind down a bit. So a lot of times we'll do vocals in the evening, you know, and, and we, we might just do like four hour sessions. You know, to sing for more than four hours is very daunting unless you're like a powerhouse, like artists like Sass Jordan. For, I don't know why, but she can sing for like 18 hours straight, full on. That's amazing. She is like one of the best singers ever, truly. She's just, she's got everything. But not everybody's like that. And then there's, you know, some singers that really only like to go like one or two hours. Mm -hmm. And then you'll do like some other overdubs within that. 
sessions generally i always find like when you're recording like session musicians i like to keep the days kind of short i find you're not really going to get much out of these people if you're keeping them around for like eight hours so i always try to get like sessions pretty wrapped i I never try to bite off too much work in one day if i'm working with session musicians i never will go more than five songs in one day i really try to keep it to three songs and i try to get it done before two and then after that i'll do overdubs or start doing vocals or editing and and that sort of thing i want to make sure whoever i'm working with do the best of themselves throughout it and it's great to be part of all that you know if it's your product so you know be there for the edits be there for all the overdubs be there you know like don't just think your engineer is going to take care of it yeah definitely and be part of it they should definitely come in with an open mind for sure because like you said when you're reading those lyrics and every single lyric is printed out yeah gonna hone in on that oh yeah like they should come in with an open mind because you are there to make them sound good you are there to make them sound their best yeah and they should trust you and they should trust your gut instinct essentially so what do you ask from an artist what do you want from them like you mentioned that you want them to come in with an idea Mm -hmm. with their sound or not their sound but what you said but what should they bring to the table while you are doing your work like while you may be off doing something and there's a little bit of downtime kind of a thing what else do you want to see from them in the studio opinions and there is like an open mind thing but it's like at the end of the day it's like i'm recording their music it's they have to sell it the open mind comes to into play when i might have an idea that they might not be sure about i'll be like you gotta trust me on this one play it through and it's kind of this balancing act because like it's their product so if they're like i fucking hate that then great it's deleted you know it's a bit of both i can't be married to every sound on that record and you know the artist necessarily can't be married to every sound on the record too so it's like i think everybody is allowed to have vetoes within the record to be like i know you love that but i hate it and i think it should leave an artist the open mind might be like i might just notice that their phrasing on this verse might be a little too choppy because they might have too many lyrics So I might suggest a lyric edit that will keep their phrasing to flow very nicely. And so they got to be, it's more or less just being okay to take out that word. But also on my end, it's letting them know that it's, it's okay and why it's okay. Showing them that it actually makes sense. Not just being like, well, if you don't like it too fucking bad, because that shit doesn't work. It's not cool. Mm-mm. It's it's a balancing act, but I think engineer or producer needs to be open-minded. The musician, artist needs to be open-minded and, and being okay with change. How can the session player step up and help out? By listening. That's my biggest thing with every session mu- musician is listening. So it's listening to the artist, listening to the producer. The producer has a really strong goal in mind, and they're inviting that musician in for that goal. They're being brought in because you're really fucking good at your instrument, and I know you're going to get me to this. So where where it doesn't work is when, you know, a musician will suggest too much shit to the producer of like, oh, I could do this, or like, maybe you should change this chord, or maybe you should like, no, producer is running the ship, (laughs) artist is running the ship. It's that same thing I said about the, you know, the engineer role is just like, you know, let the artist be the artist, let the producer be the producer Mm -hmm. and be the best as a musician be the best musician you possibly can because you got enough to worry about Mm -hmm. don't worry about the song what if the musician does have a suggestion though how should they bring it up and not that way of annoyingness 
just not in a, in a like forceful way. Just, just like, hey, you know, like, have you thought of this? Just simple, but it's not in a way of like, why aren't you going to this? Mm-hmm. Or like, why aren't you going to the five here? That's this is stupid. That's a great way to just never work again. To be honest, like, it's just it's uncalled for. That's like an engineer saying that to the producer. It's like, no, we went over this. It's it's pretty exactly where it needs to be. Pretty rock solid. Yeah. How can the artists make the most out of their studio time, get what they really want out of it, and get what they are paying for? Go into the studio with the goal of what you're going for. I feel like we're going to hone in on that because you mentioned that a couple of times, actually, a few times. But that's good. No, I like when that happens because then it's really like this is what you have to do. Well, yeah, if you're going into the studio to record a song, that's what you're going into the recording studio to Mm -hmm. do. You're recording a song. You're not shooting a fucking video. You're not entertaining your family. You're going in to record a song. So do that. It's when people, this day and age is so ridiculous that people think they need content for everything. But sure, yeah, have content. If you're going in to make the best song possible, leave the camera crew at home. Be there, be present. Turn off your fucking phone. Be present. Be present in that moment. Maybe a couple of selfies at the beginning of the day, a good family photo. That's it. You don't need a bunch of shots. You don't need to like really capture this moment. The thing that really has to happen at that moment is to be super present in that moment and make the best song possible. So as soon as you're outside of that presence, if you're looking at your phone, if you got that text message from that ex that you're stressing about, or you know somebody's like, hey, can you pick this up on your way home? And then you're thinking about that stupid, that, turn your fucking thing off, Put, throw it away. It has no business. And that goes for everybody. It goes for the engineers, it goes for the session musicians. Do the job the best possible. And be very present in the studio. And you're going to get the best product Mm -hmm. if you do that. But as soon as you try to use that studio for everything under the sun to, like, bring your family in to, like, share in the experience and bring in the camera crew to capture these things, it's like it takes you out of it right away. Mm-hmm. And it, it all people perform different. They just feel they need to like sing a certain way. It's like, no, you just got to be in that moment. Be mm-hmm. present. Well, that's why I was nervous when I asked to come in back in April because I'm like, I feel like he's just going to take him out of it. Like he wants to make his song. Totally. You know, so that's why yeah. I was like, um, I don't think I should. It's like, yeah. no, you should. I'm like, um, you know, because I definitely have it here where I've had people come in and or my phone's been here and I get a text and I'm on air. But you get that text and you're like. Ah, fuck. You know, and you're out. Yeah, you can tell when I'm out. People can tell as soon as I get that text. I am not at work anymore. I am in La La Land, or I am. It's just ridiculous. Oh no, exactly. It happens everywhere. Like you can tell, especially with performance-based industries. Like you gotta leave the technology, the friends, the family, the camera crew. All of that shit. At home, if you really want to make a good song, and you know, maybe if it's a quieter day. Kind of a thing, bring them in, but yeah, and it's you like know the what, studio too. Like they might not say, they might say, "Have no guests," you know. Like this is you. I'll let every anything goes. It's your time, do it. But if you want my advice, that's what I'll say. And I always say, like within a studio session, if you want, there's dead days in the studio. So if you want to just bring the camera crew and just do mock things within it and get some stuff like that, generally the studio will just be like, "Have at it." Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay for it. Like we do that a lot Mm -hmm. where it's like as long as you don't have to hire, like if they don't have to hire an engineer, if it's literally like open the door for you so you can take some studio shots and and get some of that content, 
I think every studio is for that. It, it's rare that you're going to find a studio that'd be like, not a chance, to be honest. They want that return business, mm-hmm. and it's it looks great on them. Keep your distractions to a bloody minim- minimum. Going to get way better product. And that's like with anything, as people know. Yeah. It's like the more you look at your fucking phone, you're out of everything. You don't go out on a first date with somebody and constantly check your phone. It's like you're going to be pushed to the curb. Your first day on the job, you're not like phone on the desk as well, like checking your Instagram. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get Do fired. at the beginning of the day. Really and quick. that's it. And people will get by if you don't, you know, share every moment of yourself. So we're going to get back into more technical things now. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about recording different genres because sure. there are differences between rock, pop, country, jazz, orchestra. You've worked with pretty much every single genre under the sun, from my understanding. Yep. We'll go down the list one by one of like the top five sure. that you've worked with and the differences between it, because I feel like there's the top five, but then there's like subgenres underneath the genres oh, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Okay. So yeah, let's talk about the differences between genres and recording them and the technicalities. It's more about just selecting how things are going to like sonically. As far as recording different genres, it's knowing the different genres and hearing it. And as a well-versed engineer, you can you can listen to a record and understand how it's recorded. So it's not using those same sort of using those same approaches on every genre. So within rock, a lot of times it's about big, loud, punchy drums and very bold, aggressive guitars, and everything's really forward feeling. But then you go to a jazz record and a drum kit. It just sounds like a drum kit. It's more back. It's not so focused. The energy isn't like so in your face. It's more like everything's back and everything has its space. You want everything, like you want to close your eyes on a good jazz record and really see the depth of the record and the width of the record and the height of the record. So it's all about space. And with classical music, it's more or less, it's not a lot of close miking, but it's more of like, it's a mixture of close miking and room miking. So you want to hear how the orchestra sounds in that room. So there's a lot of this room ambience that you want, but then also you want to hear the subtleties of those instruments. And with orchestra music, jazz a little bit, but orchestra a lot, it's their dynamics are so bloody high. So you want to be able to record and hear a pin drop, but you also want to hear the loudest aggressive timpani drums and have that boldness. And it has to be super quiet and super loud. So it's like recording an orchestra, you have to be in the right place to record it. Like it can't be in like some crappy downtown studio where you hear the trains constantly because the dynamics are so high. To stuff like hip hop, where a lot of times the track is produced by a producer outside the studio. This is somebody that will be working at maybe their home studio and like produce these great sounding tracks that hip hop artist then is just actually putting their lyrics to. With that, it's more like working with the the artist, just making sure they perform their absolute best and they're conveying that proper emotion, whatever that emotion would be. Like if it's an emotional track about their, like an ex-love, you know, you want to make sure that's being presented in a way that you hear the dynamics of their vocals. Because any hip hop artist that talks about their ex-love, it'll be a, a thing of like longing for them, but also parts of extreme anger so you want to hear that longing but you also want to hear that anger so it's making sure that that's being captured properly 
to country record and then also just understanding genre of country. Like every genre has crazy subgenres. But Mm -hmm. if you say, oh, I'm doing a country project and then it's like, okay, you know, it could be anything from like Coulter Wall to Toby Keith or anywhere in between. Who did, who's the guy that does Old Town Road? Lil Nas and Ray Cyrus. <laughs> yeah, so it could be like Lil Nas. And L- Lil Nas, like, I mean, that was really just a hip-hop track, but put like a country swing on it. It's fucking genius. But knowing those genres and knowing how to approach it with a good, like, almost like a culture wall thing, it'd be captured similar, more similar to a jazz or classical record, like where you do hear a lot of the room ambience, and it's more about capturing a moment in time with everybody playing together in one room. It's not a lot of like isolated instruments. You hear the bleed of the guitar within the drums or you hear the bleed of the singer and the piano. You know, it's it's a mixture of all that. To if you're doing like a very new country sound, I always laugh cuz a lot of these like contemporary new country sounds are like late 90s rock sounds. A lot of people are looking at these like Nickelback style drums, like these very big, bold, punchy drums. That everything almost sounds like fake, mm-hmm. but it's like that tom is perfect and that snare is perfect throughout. Like it's almost inhuman. But just kind of knowing all the subgenres and how to record those, and the right mic techniques for for all those, and how you want to capture those. You can't go into a new country project and record it like you would your jazz project because it's going to sound like shit. You know, I've heard people that have kind of done that and it's like, it's fucking terrible. There's like a lot of trends in music these days too. Like like you mentioned with country, they're almost putting more of a hip hop spin on some of the songs. Definitely a lot more pop. Yeah. And then it goes all the way to like heavy rock country. Like there's no set standard anymore for country. With pop, I feel like there's one artist that has a really cool sound and everybody wants to do that really cool sound. And then it just, yeah. yeah, there's so many, so many trends. You guys got to probably keep up with a lot of the trends and keep up with the Joneses. How do you guys do it? Do you there's just a bit constantly of, teach yeah. yourself? There's a bit of keeping up with the trends, but it's, it's about also throwing that shit out the window. Not copying. That's a big one. And not, I'm huge advocate of that like there is a bit of like because an artist will want a certain thing but there's also like this whole just because it's awesome now doesn't mean it's going to be awesome by the time your record's done but it's the weirdest thing with trends like it's interesting that you said though i like that you actually said it's probably not going to be cool or it might not be cool when your record's done i think that's a big point you know usually because in the moment they're like i want to sound like Billie eilish or i want to sound like taylor swift or like Taylor Swift has yeah. changed so much over the years that you can't say that, yeah. you know? But I think that's a really big point. So the weird thing with, like, genres is that I look back to 91, 92, when, like, Nirvana broke, and, like, grunge was huge, and, like, everybody's like, oh, that's so gritty. Like, it's uh, how do they even play that on the radio, right? To me, pop is a new grunge. People are taking extreme risks in pop music right now, and it's fucking awesome. I love it. People are taking the most extreme risks. Like people are making very dark and gritty shit right now. And they're taking risks that nobody has taken. Country is the new rock. Everything wants to sound big and bold. And rock is kind of, I don't know where rock is these days, but it's kind of everything. But rock is kind of the new pop. Like they're kind of doing shit that the pop genre was doing. The bigger one, it's heavy metal is actually the new pop. 
especially like the new, new metal, Mm -hmm. everything's so chopped up and so perfect. Like every note is so detailed oriented where people were worried this much about sounds and, and editing like pop was in the 80s and 90s where pop now is like the new grunge where they're just making things so raw and so quick. And same with hip-hop. Hip-hop is kind of like, it's the most, hip-hop and pop right now are taking the most risks. Country is taking risks, but it's more on the outsides. Mm -hmm. More or less, the people that are playing it safe the most is country music. A lot of stick to the form, this works, go with this. There is a form to it. There's calculations. It works. Let's do this. There's lyrical forms that really work. Kind of stick to the map. Not a lot of risk takers within that genre. And same with jazz. Like jazz was the most risky stuff out there. Like when it came out, it was so bold and people were taking the hugest risks. And now people are kind of like just sticking to forms. There needs to be a huge shakeup within every genre. You know, when you're going in and making music, you have to take risks or you're not going to be heard Mm -hmm. you're just going to be this vanilla crap within everything that you just get lost in the curve so the greatest thing that you can do as an artist is be yourself a hundred percent yourself as soon as you're like oh I, i really like i love this x record or like i feel I'm in tune with this artist. And then all of a sudden they just start sounding too much like that artist where you're like, you were so good just when you were you. But sometimes it takes a lot. You got to open yourself and be very exposed to be yourself. If somebody says, oh, just be yourself on such and such, like a a day or like you go into a new job and it's like, oh, just be yourself in the interview. You'd be like, ah, like that's scary as crap. You know, but if you can, it might actually work better for that job interview because then they know exactly what they're going for, good or bad, but there's no false implications or false. That makes sense. Yeah, implications actually make sense. But it's you just you go in so bold. And that's with music. It's like just be yourself. It's you are amazing. Yeah. Just be that. So in your opinion, you know, talking about risks and stuff. Yeah. The easiest and hardest genres to record and why? Let's start off with the easiest genre to record. Every genre has its own challenge. It's so weird. I'm gonna say, I'm probably going to say country. It's To me, it's easy. Yeah, because you said it was structured. There's it's, of... pretty, it's pretty bold. It's pretty structured. Pretty, you're not reinventing the map, more or less, mm-hmm. on, on most times. There's not a lot of risks that go in, in within that genre lately. So it's like... Unless people really shake it up. Like, it hasn't been shaken up since Shania. Anybody that's a country musician, just get your shit together and shake <laughs> things up for once. Get seriously. It's genre so, so blase. All I right. love it. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I absolutely love it. But it's like, there, somebody needs to shake things up a bit. It just hasn't hit yet. People do try. And it's, it's awesome. So what's the hardest genre to record? You said they all have challenges. But there's got to be yeah. one that you're like, ah, oh, man. I'm going into this. I am going to give it my all, but wow. Acoustic ambient recordings seem to be the toughest. Why is that? Because it's all about really quiet sounds. So ambient recording, it's usually these really long songs. They have an arc to them, but a lot of times people do them with electronic instruments. So it's very easy to record. It's But, you know, it's layers and you got to put things together. But with acoustic ambient, it's all about the softest, bloody sounds. And it's got to be picked up 
so perfect. So you listen to like some like a Bjork record and Bjork's all about the small sounds. Like she loves that when small sounds sound very big. So she loves to record the smallest, most sensitive sounds. And that's a huge challenge because you're dealing with your surroundings. You record very quiet sounds and then like a fan, a, a computer fan goes off and it's gone, you know. You're also in, in any acoustic, like if you're adding different acoustics, and acoustics could be like anything non-synth-based or electronic-based, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like acoustic guitars or harps or pen against a cup or a piano, things that need to be tuned or like uh, vibraphones or harpsichords, any of those things. It's so bloody hard because at any given time, something could be out of tune or pitchy or doesn't work with that sound. So so those type of records sometimes can take like a couple years really going for it. To me, the toughest, and I've done records like that where it's tricky because there's so many challenges. It's not just like put a microphone in front of it and be loud. Uh, So we're going to go back to the artists now recording demos versus a radio hit. We kind of talked about this with Shard, but not the production side of things, just like the lyrical side of things and all that kind of stuff. But the difference between the two. So I don't have a lot of notes on this, but what's the difference between recording for a demo and recording a radio hit? I mean, it seems like one of those questions that seems obvious, but sometimes I feel like these artists walk into a studio hoping that this song is going to be on the radio, but it sounds like a demo. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times... Artists, if you're about to, you know, maybe work on an EP, but you have like 20 songs, sometimes it's just good to like go and hash them out, spend like a day and just demo all these songs really quick, maybe with your band. And then you can kind of take perspective or get perspective on what songs are better and what songs should go on an album. So a lot of times an artist will just go in and and demo a bunch of songs and like put together a good band and just like go through the forms really quick. That's generally what demos are. It's just like a quick snapshot of what the song would be or could be. It gives the producer a better idea. It gives the artist good perspective of like walking away and and saying, you know, they can kind of almost self-produce going like, ah, that chorus is not hitting. You know, like we need to change that. Sometimes when you're performing them, they just sound good. But you don't know that cool riff on a guitar doesn't need to be played for 16 bars without vocals. Like all of a sudden you go like, oh, maybe it should just be a two-bar turnaround. And you can kind of work that out. The quote-unquote radio hit or landing on a great Spotify playlist or or something like that, like something that is going to leap your career. You're, You're stitching the best possible thing together like you're worried about every little nuance about that thing you've gone through the pre-production and you understand every lyric that's going on there you know exactly what kind of rhythm you want with it what kind of drum beat how the bass is going to sound what like you know all of that stuff and you put every detail into that and make every detail the best possible where you might be a little bit more easy going on a demo. Mm-hmm. Do you like, recommend artists do a demo run through before they actually come in and fully make an album or a song? Yeah, it's it's definitely. Oh man, like it's even if it's on their iPhone because you can sit back and and hear your song. Definitely, when you're performing a song, it sounds different. Performing a song sounds different from listening back to even an iPhone recording. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of the iPhone microphone. I think it sounds great. So just put that anywhere in your jam space and record or just book a 
cheap studio and just say exactly what you want to do you know like or life off the floor kind of a thing yeah, yeah yeah if there's a studio in town that will charge you like a couple hundred bucks to come in for the day do that and just bang off all your stuff it'll sound like crap but I'll give you an idea of what you want. Totally, we'll give you an idea. And yep. then you can kind of like in turn learn a lot from that and work it out. Every songwriter is going to demo their product because it's a way for them to then listen back constantly and make changes to the arrangement and lyrics instead of just like, we wrote a song. Yay. That's it. Before we move on to like some massive studio no-nos, is there anything else you want to touch on? with any other topic we talked about, because this one's going to be more of like a lighthearted conversation, less technical. Like anything you want to bring up that I may not have answered or no, not I think answered. No, I got it. Um, okay, yeah. so then we're going to move on to what are some massive studio no-nos, things that just these artists should not ever do. I think the big one is like the studio's church. So just, you know, keep the vibes cool. To go in and just get fucking drunk with your buddies is is kind of a waste of time. And if that's how you want to spend your money, do it somewhere else. It's be present. That's the no-no is kind of like we touched a bit on that with yeah. like being present. Yeah. But like be really present. You don't have to be wasted to perform. You can have a couple beers during the day and be cool and chill or have a little bit of weed that just keeps you relaxed. But like to get shitty is just stupid. It doesn't do any good. The other thing is like just kind of leave the shit stuff at the door. You know, we all go through some heavy stuff throughout the, the days. But, mm -hmm. you know, like when you come in, just we're here. We're going to make sure that we all love each other. We all trust each other. Like I love everybody I work with. And I'm going to make sure they have a really positive experience. And I, I, you know, I know things happen in life and there's hard hardship, but we're going to bond together and do a good thing. So if somebody's going through a breakup, kind of you leave that at the door, but, you know, but also trust that everybody around you is going to be mindful of that and give you as much love as you need. Yeah, the, the big no-nos to me is always like just not being present in the studio or like being wasted. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Do you have any horror stories of the worst studio experience you've ever had? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear. Um, I want to hear him. The worst time I had in the studio was I was recording one guy who's a recovering crack addict. He was a decent enough guy, but I, you could tell there was darkness in him. We were recording these songs, and he was really edgy the whole time. Like, he was just, like, very – he was a prick to his whole band. Like, he was just – super mean and i never really I, I just i don't hang with that i like nice people i love when people are just nice keep the assholes out of the building he was you know putting down everybody in the band and and that sort of thing and then when it came time to him singing like he was just kind of shit in the bed and everybody was really supportive of him like trying to you know make sure he got through it but he was really temperamental and then like it was late one night we were going through some overdubs and i was like do you like this take or this take like we we're just going through a comp He's like, I have no idea, man. I'm like, oh, don't worry. Like, we don't have to do it right now. I'll leave it on the side. We'll just choose one for now. And he's like, I have no. I was like, oh, it's easy. Don't worry. Like, we'll just, we'll leave it alone, move on to something else. For some reason, when I said it's easy, that triggered something so aggressive in him. So he grabbed me by the fucking neck. And like, he was a bigger dude. And I was pretty, like, I was on a diet of coffee and cigarettes at the time. So I was like 135, maybe. So he grabs me out of the neck, pins me up against the wall. And he's like, it's not fucking easy for me. It's, and I was like, whole, like, I was like, dude, sorry. Tell you what, like, let's stop here. I know you're upset. I don't want this to go any further. Go have a cigarette. And I'll take five minutes to myself. 
and let's just reconvene and we'll talk about it. And he's like, good idea. So he goes out for a cigarette. I lock the door, leave. Oh, geez, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no way I'm letting that guy back in. He came back the next day and he was super pissed at me about it. And I'm just like, dude, I could have called 911. And I just kind of put it to him bluntly. I just said, listen, we'll go two ways. I'll give you your files right now. Pay for the time that you were here. I'll give you the files. You can go on. Or I'll just delete everything you did. I'll go on with my day. He chose, he paid his bill. That's good. Got all, all the files and, and went on somewhere else. You know, like, I, I generally don't have time for that. And, and, like, to be honest, like, I really, I don't think I've worked with an, I've worked with maybe, like, two assholes. That's good, though. Like, in, like, 20 years. Yeah, really. Like, usually like, the people that are, like, making music are in it for the right reasons. They want to make great stuff. Yeah. You know, and they're, like, really positive about it. So it's, like, it's super rare. Yeah, I've like, never seen any thing really bad or had any bad experiences with no. any musicians in really any genre. Everybody's like, they're going for it for the right reason. I think I'm also a type of energy like that if they are an asshole, they generally don't work with me anyway. Like I just, I don't jive with it. Or if like people just want to put people down all day, I don't hang with it. So keeping things on a lighter note, some yeah. positive, what was your best studio experience you've ever had? best <laughs> i feel like that those questions are always the hardest to answer like you can yeah. always say your worst one but then your best one you're like yeah what's the best yeah. day you ever had because i know you said you don't like to really think about the past you think about the moment or the future kind of a yeah. thing so this is probably one of those questions that you may have to think about which is okay there's been a few moments where life shuts off and you become so into what you're recording that nothing exists and you block out and you're in this weird moment and there's been a couple moments. I remember this one fucking solo. I'm not a fan of guitar at all. At all. But there's this one solo that Russell Broom played. And I was listening and I just went completely off the rail. Like I just went somewhere else. I started just fucking bawling. And I was like, that was fucking perfect. Whatever happened. He's like, man, just give me one more. I'm like, all right. And he did it again. And, and I'm like, nope, you got to hear this one. So he came in and he's like, shit, you're right. It's not like it was like the best, but it was like, it's those moments where that, that moment I, I remember because I always bug him about it, but it, w it was really amazing. Or like there was another moment when recording this band Gone Cosmic. I had the singer sing every single take with the band because I wanted to capture as much raw vocals as possible. But I couldn't see the singer. She was in a, her name's Abby. So Abby was uh, in this ISO room that I, I can't see. It's like off to the side, but it sounds really good in there. And for some reason, I don't know where she went, but she went somewhere heavy and it was so good. And after I just like stopped and I like, I had to get out of my chair and like walked and I, I just looked at her and I was like, what happened? That was the greatest thing I've ever heard. And it was just one of those, and she was just done. Like you can tell she went somewhere and it was the most beautiful performance I've ever heard. And I'm like, I'm keeping everything about that, warts and all. It's those experiences that are the best are those moments where people go somewhere else. They're no longer in the studio. They're just, they took all their experience that they've learned throughout the years, they threw it out the window, and they just created at that moment. Experiences that are the most positive are the ones that nobody knows about. It's the ones that people just go somewhere and like, I might know, they might know, but that's it. That's why I record music is for those moments. Like a lot of times when I'm recording, I don't know what I'm like. I'm, I'm just in the music and I just create. All the gear is just there for me to help. It's facilitating to get the sounds for the record. I don't worry about the ones and twos. 
I'm worried about the moment and creating a space for people to come in and be able to have that moment captured. It's like capturing fire. It's impossible. Sometimes for a moment, like that fire will fucking stand still and just be like, I think that flame just stood still for a second. And then it starts dancing again. And it's so true because like you'll be at a campfire and you're just engaged in this fire and then the world just falls out around you and you just are so locked into it. And then it's like at a moment it will stand still and it's a moment that only you see and nobody else will see. And that's the moments you go for. (laughs) 